You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. So check out the website of Another Tomorrow, the clothing line Another Tomorrow. It notes that it's offering up a new model for environmentally sound design. And this is something that really speaks to things that Jason and I are very interested in. We talk about it with our teenage kids about, especially when it comes to clothing, the impact on the environment and how you can do it in a better way. And our next guest is doing just that. Vanessa Barboni-Hellick is founder of Another Tomorrow in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about your premise, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Absolutely. So the whole the whole project was really a bit of an accident. I was in finance for 15 years. Right. I took a sabbatical for six months, really ostensibly to shift into sustainable finance. And really operating in a macro environment for so long, I thought before I did that, I should really start to learn more from the ground up about what was driving the overall situation that we find ourselves in globally. And so I was going industry by industry, and it was when I got to the fashion industry that I was just floored. It was going deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole and all of the impacts that the industry has from a a human perspective, from an environmental perspective, um, from a very nuanced animal welfare perspective, and it really became a set of information that I really couldn't unknow. And, and the one thing behind all of it was just, if we understood how the industry really operated, this is not how we would choose for our clothing to be made. Right. And so how do you do it differently? So how we do it differently is really from the ground up to say, okay, if we, if we could operate from a blank slate, how would we approach this? So in the context of um, human welfare, you want everyone to be paid living wages. I think that's pretty straightforward um, to operate in safe working conditions. And so we ensure that that's the case for every single one of our suppliers. We want to make sure that you wouldn't choose to harm or kill an animal in the process of making clothing. And so that's a standard that we apply to all of our materials as well. In some cases, that just eliminates materials, even like silk, which is something that isn't very well known. And in other cases, it changes the way that we source. So we source from two family farms um, in Tasmania for our wool, for example. And then from a broader animal, or environmental pr- um, perspective, that means that the materials that we do use, so cotton is only organic, mm-hmm. linen is only organic, um, instead of using silk, we use viscose that only comes from very specific forest, uh, forest resources um, and doesn't contribute to defo- deforestation. How do you deal with the transportation element of it? That is such a good question. So we try and keep our supply chains as short as possible. That's the hardest thing to do, given what's happened to global supply chains in this industry. And a lot of places, including the United States, you really have a lot of those middle tiers of the supply chain that have really been eliminated in the last three decades. Right. So for us, that means that in Europe, we get most of our fabrics, we create custom fabrics in Europe, and we do our manufacturing as close to those sources as possible. So those intermediate steps are as close as they possibly can be. And then it's shipping that really is the biggest problem. So for us, you know, we're basically buying raw materials much earlier in the stage, so that's a pain from a working capital perspective. It's hard to then ship by boat on the back end. So right now we ship by air, which isn't ideal, and we yeah. offset those emissions. But yeah. that, that for us is the biggest challenge. Tell us about the consumer right now and the openness, the willingness to maybe think about this differently. We, you and I and Carol all have this mutual admiration society for Dana Thomas, the the author of Fashionopolis, you know, who just sort of does such a brilliant job. And if you haven't read the book out there, you, you should. should. You should listen to the podcast that we did with her. Um, she really breaks down this anti-fast fashion movement, but it's... It's nascent, it, it, it feels like. How do you get people's head around this? It's like, how do you break the machine that is the clothing industry? Totally. 
We really take a barbell approach. So on the one hand, every single one of our garments has a unique digital identity with a QR code on the care label that shows the entire provenance of the garment. So I think that that really creates the, the information in a very personal way, and it creates a sense of connection with how it was actually made. I also think that storytelling is incredibly important, and so we have a separate magazine portion of our site mm. that's dedicated to an editorially independent, long-form narrative of these really complex supply chains, which is something that I think Dana did really beautifully in her book, because ultimately, yes, it's about science, but it's also about people, communities, and, and that's what really makes sustainability Well, educating what everybody. Educating. But how it yeah. all works. Exactly. And the I good, think bad, different and, yeah. people experience and resonate in different ways. Yeah. So what takes this to sort of the proverbial tipping point where we're all sort of thinking about this and it's it's affordable to, to some extent. That feels like a key element. I think that's a very key element. So our market positioning is largely a function of that question of affordability. When I was first starting and we did market research, Honestly, this consumer was not that focused on living her values in fashion. She was focused on doing so with food. She was focused on doing mm -hmm. so for her children. But that association didn't yet necessarily apply to this really opaque industry. And so we thought, okay, if we can help democratize quality and mm. make quality itself less expensive, then we can bring this woman on this journey with us. And so we started doing that, which is why we're largely direct-to-consumer luxury. So instead of a... Right, to be fair, I mean, it's not inexpensive. It's not inexpensive. It's gorgeous, don't get me wrong. But I mean, <laughs> when we talk about getting to the masses... No, right, it's absolutely. Yeah. And that's where I think our resale component becomes really ah, crucial. Right. So that's something that we message just at the outset because we want customers to know that we're on this journey with them. Yeah. And so we're really hoping that once that portion of our site launches in a year, that, that will really help to democratize quality. All right. Well, wait, come, wait, wait. Uh, well but the life cycle of a product, too, is different. Critical. Right? I mean, in technology, they yes. talk about forced obsolescence. And I would imagine that in clothing, when you build an article, you, you're trying to secure a limited life so that there is going to be kind of a return, right? Yeah, and I think that adopting resale and your own model helps to break that psychology yeah. of just more is more is oh, more. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, I've got to say with my daughter, like she loves going to those stores of and buying stuff that other people have owned yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or old. And I do think we've got to shift more and more to that, that whole idea of reusing totally. um, clothes. All right. Um, really cool stuff. Well, good luck. Uh, keep so us posted. We uh, we love this story. Vanessa yeah. Barboni. Halleck is the founder of Another Tomorrow. Those I want it all.